Good morning, everyone. <laughs> you are um, in Auditorium 1 uh, in the session, session entitled Asaba Actuaries and Dialogue Select Solutions for the Municipality Crisis. Uh, we're really excited um, and really privileged to have the Deputy Minister of the uh, Cooperative, of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, uh, Mr. Andre Snell. Good welcome. Um, and the other speakers are no stranger to any of you, um, Shivani Ranshad and Temba Gametze. Uh, please wish them a very, very warm welcome. Uh, I just have a few announcements before we start um, that we are running 30 minutes behind schedule and to make up time, each session will be shortened by about five minutes and lunch will be shortened by 10 minutes. And the adjusted times are the session was due to start at 12.05 and will carry on until around 1 o'clock. Then lunch is from 1 o'clock to 1.50. Uh, the next session is from 1.50 to 2.45. Um, you've got transfer time of 10 minutes and then the closing session will be from 2.45 to 3, sorry, 2.55 to 3.55. Uh, so that's just to make sure that everybody is aware of all of the times. So the um, structure of the session is that uh, we will invite the Deputy Minister to um, just give us a talk in context. Um, I think he has some really engaging um, ideas around the ways in which actuaries can play a role in the space. Uh, and thereafter, I will then invite Shivani and Temba to also speak. And uh, we will then have Q&A thereafter. Thank you. Oh, I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Garabo Murule. <laughs> Very, very good morning to, to everyone. Um, it's really, really wonderful to, to be with you in this venue. Uh, I associate this venue with the Cape Town International Jazz Festival and with the Rosie's stage. Uh, let's see what actuarial jazz we'll be getting today. But uh, Program Director, thank you very, very much. Uh, President of ISA, Mr. P Peter Witte, uh, President-elect, uh, Mr. Rudzani Muraudzi, uh, President of the Black, uh, South African Black Actuarial Professionals, uh, Ms. Patuani Nemakabani, uh, President-elect uh, of ASABA, Ms. Memory Zimba, Secretary-General, uh, Ms. Tsekhufatsu Sekhwele, and uh, the founding president of ASABA and my fellow panelist, uh, Mr. Temba Gamedzi. Um, thank you very, very much for the opportunity to, to engage. Um, when I was asked to, to engage, uh, officials in our department were then asked to prepare uh, an input. And they were just like generally quizzical looks all round as to what, what are we doing talking to actuaries and how does that relate to municipalities? Um, so I said, look, let me maybe go and visit uh, the Actuarial Society of South Africa's website. And what your website tells me about actuaries is the following. They say that an actuary is a professional who applies analytical, statistical, and mathematical skills to financial and business problems. 
This is especially valuable, it says, when facing real-world problems that involve uncertain future events or financial risk. So then I started understanding the relevance because there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of risk involved in the municipal space. It goes on to say that this ability to quantify that which is unclear helps individuals and businesses to safeguard their future confidently and at a fair price in an ever-changing world. So I thought that maybe these are people that we need on our side. Goes on further to say that they're able to provide realistic solutions to complex problems with a long-term forward view. These are definitely people that we want on our team. They are recognized to be pragmatic, innovative, and numerate. They also operate within a strict professional and ethical framework, advancing equity across all stakeholders and promoting the public interest. These are people that we really want with us. Actuaries are highly skilled professionals who place financial value on long-term risks. Because of the diversity of their skills and the focus on problem solving in their training, actuaries are skilled at extracting insights and intelligence out of complex data. Traditionally, they've operated primarily in life insurance and pensions, but the role has broadened to cover healthcare, banking, short-term insurance, investments, and all fields of, fields of enterprise risk management and long-term financial planning. I think that's a very, very valuable skill set. And I think we're here to argue that in addition to those areas that the profession is expanding into, the public sector and particularly local government should be an area that you should be active in and we want to partner with you. In his very thought-provoking book, If Mayors Ruled the World, Benjamin Barber asks the question whether the problems facing the world, such as climate change, terrorism, poverty and trafficking of drugs and guns and people are too big, too interdependent and too divisive for the nation state. He suggests that cities and the mayors who run them can and in fact are doing a better job. I don't propose to answer to Benjamin Barber's question. However, given all of the claims made about actuaries on your website, I do want to pose the question, what if actuaries were mayors? And I think that's the conversation that we want to have with you today. And perhaps one of your past presidents has already started to provide some clues as to what the answer might be. In his 2012 presidential address, Temba Gamedze referred to the serious lack of capacity in the area of enterprise risk management evident in the AG's, the Auditor General's assessment of municipalities. He went on to assert that, and I quote, there is an undoubted need for us to, as a, to, as a profession, make ourselves available to participate in the inculcation and deepening of a culture of professionalism, strong risk management and accountability that is under increasing threat 
within a number of our public institutions, including our municipalities, close quote. And this ties in very strongly with a call that's been consistently made by President Ramaphosa for the building of a social compact between government, labor, business, and civil society that is called for in our national development plan. Our constitution envisages a united, non-racial, non-sexist, democratic, and prosperous society in which the potential of each person is freed. A country that belongs to all who live in it, united in its diversity, in which the divisions of the past are healed. Uniting South Africa is necessary for the process of reducing poverty and inequality. Unity, in turn, depends on the eradication of poverty and the reduction of inequality. The National Development Plan argues that long-term growth and investment require a shared vision, trust, and cooperation between business, labor, and government. The NDP requires collaboration between all se sections of our society and effective leadership by government. In a society with deep social and economic divisions, Neither social nor economic transformation is possible without a capable and developmental state at all levels, national, provincial, and local. However, the successful implementation of the NDP also requires strong leadership from business, labor, and civil society. We need leaders throughout society to work together. Given our country's divided past, leaders sometimes advance positions that advocate narrow, self-interested, short-term goals at the expense of broader, long, a, long, a broader long-term agenda. It's Im imperative to break out of this cycle. But that requires trust between social partners. And unfortunately, levels of trust in our society at the moment are very, very low. A recent citizen survey opinion poll found that 32% of respondents had no trust, as in no trust whatsoever, in their mayor. 20% had a little trust, 22% had some trust, only 20% had a lot of trust. Mirroring Cogta's back-to-basics assessment, 23% of respondents felt that their municipality was doing very badly. 28% badly, 33% felt that their municipality was doing well, and only 7% felt that it was doing very well. According to the most recent poll, trust in national institutions ranges from a low of 35% for traditional leaders, 40% for the police, 46% for the NPA, 52% for the IEC, 56% for the Constitutional Court, and 58% for religious leaders. And I think that poll was done before a certain trial. Recently, President Ramaphosa said in Parliament that I quote, to build the cities and towns that we want, it's critical that government, the private sector, and NGOs work together to create a sustainable growth model for compact, connected, and coordinated urban areas by integrating and aligning investments. This should form part of the broader social compact envisaged in the NDP, and which in many different ways and on diff many different fronts we're working to build. Through such a compact, through the transformation of our urban spaces, and by strengthening property rights for all, 
we can ensure that the poor and the working class live in decent communities located near to economic opportunities and that parents can return home from long, long, can return from work long before their children need to go to sleep, close quote. Now, the state of our municipalities is, is dire. In 2014, uh, we conducted a very, very thorough assessment of all 257 of our municipalities. And we, we conducted that assessment based on levels of service delivery, levels of governance, citizen satisfaction, incidents of protest, financial management, etc. All in all, we used over 20 criteria. We came to the conclusion that one-third of our municipalities were functioning well, and some of them excellently. And I think it's important to state that, because local government as a whole is not the huge cesspool of corruption, inefficiency, incompetence that it's sometimes suggested to be. And we need to recognize the efforts of councillors and officials who work in a very hard, very honest, very dedicated way in many of our municipalities. However, one-third of our municipalities is functioning okay. It's getting, they're getting many of the basics right, but they face some serious systemic and other challenges, which if they're not addressed and not helped with, can cause that one-third of municipalities to slide into dysfunctionality. One-third of our 250 municip 57 municipalities are quite frankly either dysfunctional or severely distressed. The causes of, of that dysfunctionality and, and distress are complex and manifold. Some of them are deep-seated historic and systemic challenges that lie within the fact that those municipalities are serving areas sometimes far-flung rural areas that cover huge areas with very little economic activity, very low tax bases, very little revenue, the inability to attract people with the required skills and experience to work there. However, there are other municipalities where systemically they should be well-functioning, but for reasons of a breakdown in governance, very often related to conflicts arising from a contestation of over access to state resources. Governance breaks down. And with a breakdown of governance, eventually service delivery also breaks down. So we formulated the Back to Basics program that's designed first and foremost to lift that bottom third of municipalities out of dysfunctionality to at least a basic state of functionality. Back to Basics is, is premised on five pillars. Firstly, putting people first. Making sure that the citizens of a municipality occupy a central place in the running of that municipality, both in terms of inputting into the policies and the programs, but also a realization that the municipality is there to serve people. Municipality exists for people. People don't exist for municipalities. Secondly, ensuring that there's a basic and consistent level of quality service delivery, that the grass is cut, that the potholes are filled, that the light bulbs are replaced, 
that there's clean drinking water, that electricity reticulation functions. Thirdly, that we practice sound financial management. Fourthly, good governance. And fifth, that we build strong and capable institutions, amongst others by appointing the right people with the right qualifications and experience to do the right jobs. So that Back to Basics program has, has be, is being implemented in very, very close partnership with National Treasury, with other sector departments, in particular human settlements, water sanitation, um, electricity, transport. We have now visited, I think, all but two uh, of the provinces in the country. We've sat down with those most problematic, most dysfunctional municipalities, done very, very thorough diagnoses, worked with the provinces to develop recovery plans, and we were driving the implementation of those one of the elements there, and I think I'm mentioning this because I think it, it creates a platform for greater involvement by the actuarial profession, is that we've recognized the need to set up district support teams that are assisting 57 of the most dysfunctional municipalities with engineering skills, financial skills, town and regional planning skills, and governance. Uh, skills to enable them in many cases to make use of things like municipal infrastructure grants which very often go unspent and need to be returned to National Treasury. So COCTA is busy with a range of interventions. The interventions that I'm going to, to speak to now focus primarily on the financial aspect of municipalities but I want to stress at the outset that I think the role of actuaries can and should go far beyond just the financial. And I'll come back to that. The, the first intervention that we're making was, is with municipal-specific revenue plans that are currently being rolled out in 42 selected municipalities. The objective of these revenue plans is to improve revenue management, to reduce municipal consumer debt, and the pr protection and enhancement of the municipality's revenue collection potential by minimizing revenue losses and focusing on making electricity and water business more efficient and self-funding with full cost recovery. This includes meter installations, meter management, and meter readings, data management, property data, meters and consumer data, accurate and timely billing, payment and receipt management, credit control, debt management and collection, cash and liquidity management. The second area is audit support. Implementation of audit remedial plans is monitored through the attendance of audit steering committees, audit committee meetings, chief financial officers, fora, and the submission of progress reports to provincial um, departments. Thirdly, ensuring effectiveness of governance structures, such as audit committees, municipal public accounts committees, and section 79 committees. Fourthly, establishing capacity to assist municipalities with tariff deficiencies, um, in particular in the area of water and electricity. Working with National Treasury, we've defined the minimum skills requirements in this area. We assess municipal capacity and develop support models to facilitate the prioritization and the filling of crit 
critical revenue management posts. In general, municipalities are busy making appointments of the right people with the right qualifications. During 2017-18, 423 appointments were conducted or were concluded with competent and suitably qualified senior managers. In 95 cases, interventions were made to enforce compliance with the standards set out in the Municipal Systems Act and regulations where those contra appointments contravened these standards. 1,122 candidates were screened to check whether they appear on the record of officials who were dismissed or who resigned prior to the conduct of disciplinary proceedings. This database will ensure that no manager who is dishonorably discharged will be employed in any municipality in the country for a period of up to 10 years. Since the amendment of the Municipal Systems Act in 2011, a total of 1,651 municipal employees were dismissed for misconduct and 130 resigned prior to the finalization of the disciplinary proceedings. So I think we are making a very, very real effort to ensure that the right people with the right qualifications and experience do get appointed into our municipalities and that we flush out those who should not be there. But of course, that's only one aspect uh, of a much, much bigger and complex set of challenges. We want to explore the following areas of collaboration. How can the actuarial profession help us with regard to financial management and other revenue generation and retention mechanisms or models? Secondly, can ASA and ASABA help with, with regard to skills and skills training interventions in relation to financial management in municipalities? Thirdly, what is the possibility of the profession assisting in relation to assets and liability management, as well as evaluating the financial consequences and helping in policy costing. Fourth, can you adopt municipalities? We have business adopt a municipality. Can we have actuaries adopt a municipality? Cocta's exploring a range of potential funding mechanisms for local government that would require the assistance and the input of the actuarial profession. Firstly, the concept of pooled financing, the pooling of multiple municipalities' borrowing needs together, normally through a local government funding agency, which can offer larger debt issues with better credit rating at lower costs of debt. How can the profession advise in this regard? Secondly, infrastructure financing through pension funds. Pension funds are increasingly playing a dominant role in investing on public infrastructure. According to an uh, insight into African pension funds and financial markets published in December of 2013, infrastructure projects offer pension funds unique opportunities to diversify their portfolios. Pension funds can choose whether to be a direct investor or an indirect investor into infrastructure projects. And I think that ties in with both the upcoming uh, investment conference that will be taking place uh, this weekend, as well as the pronouncements made recently by the President 
coming out of the job summit um, and the economic stimulus package announced by the president, where there's talk of setting up an infrastructure investment fund. Can you help in risk management related to climate change effects, insurance aspects, etc.? How can you help in finding alternative funding sources for local government given the current fiscal constraints that outweigh the, challenge, the work and the needs of those municipalities? As I said earlier, we've established a number of district support teams working in 57 priority municipalities. To what extent can the skills of the town and regional planners, the engineers, the financial and governance experts be supplemented by actuarial skills? Another area is the fact that South Africa is urbanizing extremely, extremely rapidly. Already, two-thirds of South Africans are living in urban areas. By 2030, that would have gone up to over 70%. By 2050, it's projected that eight out of every 10 South Africans is going to live in an urban area. That poses tremendous opportunities, but also huge risks. To what extent can the skills of the actuarial profession assist us in the implementation of our integrated urban development framework? And lastly, as COGTA, we host the National Disaster Management Center. I think exploring a partnership with the actuarial profession in disaster and risk modeling can be very, very beneficial to the functioning of our disaster management center. I want to conclude by just putting the challenge to the profession. But as we heard yesterday in the Minister of Finance's uh, medium-term budget policy statement, in a sense, both globally and in our country, we live in both the best and the worst of times. We live in times that are, are very, very uncertain. We've had prolonged economic stagnation. Increasingly, there's talk of another global economic meltdown on the horizon. We see the rise of right-wing, virulent right-wing populism. We see the polarization of both the globe and of individual societies. We're finding it more and more difficult to cohere as societies and to drive long-term programs that, that arise above narrow interests for the benefit of all. So it's a very, very complex world and very often the analytical tools that we bring to the table are rooted in paradigms that really belong to the past. So it's maybe to challenge the profession to play a thought leadership role. And I'd just like to conclude by an extract from an article on complexity science and, and actuarial science by Alan Moles who argues that, quote, today's complex world demands a new breed of actuary, a professional I call a complex systems actuary, who, one, understands the complex nature of social systems, the social systems in which actuaries work, the worlds of insurance, pensions, investments, and healthcare, are not well-behaved like planets and dice, 
Rather, they are complex and unpredictable. Two, applies new methods. Traditional actuarial methods alone cannot model complex social systems. To grasp and manage the systems in which we work, we must augment our tools with the new methods of complexity science. Thirdly, expands the role of actuaries. Actuaries need not be merely administrators within society's problem-prone systems. Rather, we can also use our unique knowledge and skill augmented with insights and tools from complexity science to help solve society's great problems and improve our social systems, close quote. So I think to end on the note that the role of government, nationally, provincially, and locally, is absolutely crucial in a South African context. We need to build a capable developmental state that can drive the implementation of our national development plan. But the role of civil society is equally crucial to work in partnership with the developmental state. And I want to leave you with the words of, Eric, Eric, of Terry Eagleton in his book on literary theory, with which he concludes his, his work on literary theory. He says, we know that the lion is stronger than the lion tamer, and so does the lion tamer. The problem is that the lion does not. So I think we must wake up the lion in all of us, including the lion in actuaries. Thank you. Would you like to speak, Shana Spanier? Timber? Would you respond? How much time have I got? <laughs> Thank you very much, Honourable Deputy Minister. That was really encouraging. Um, and very glad to be part of this kind of discussion. It's the start of constant discussion. Um, maybe one of the things we, we talked about before was context. Um, in fact, one of the things that actuaries should know is that context is all important. So, for example, the purpose of evaluation is very, very critical um, in terms of the assumptions you bring and so on. In this particular case, context is uh, perhaps different from the way in which we as actuaries have approached problems. We, we exist within a specific environment and we learn a language that is appropriate to, to that environment. But one of the things that's going to happen if we're going to work together with uh, government is that we're going to have to generate trust. So it's not just about getting an answer, which, you, which may or may not be right, and presenting it. If the person doesn't trust you, whether it's right or not is irrelevant. So trust often begins with learning a whole new language. And many of us as actuaries have avoided having to learn um, much of the language that people use in the socio-political sphere. So that's the first thing. If we want to get involved in this area, we're going to have to learn a new language. I think the second thing is a joint venture, which is quite complicated, depends on mutuality. I would only enter into a joint venture with someone if I trust what they do and they trust what I bring to the party. 
Now, what's complicated here is that we're going to be in a joint venture with several parties. So it's not just government, it's organized labor. It's also community-based organizations and business. So the social compact is a very complicated thing. It sounds great, but it's very complicated. So I think the other type of actor who's going to succeed here is not just someone who's willing to learn a new language, but somebody who's also willing to prove themselves again. Um, some people have never really had to prove themselves. You know, actuaries are so famous and so well known in financial services that you walk into the room and you never have to prove anything to anyone as long as you've got those initials. But in some environments, those initials don't really mean much. So for those of us who want to be involved, we're going to have to put those qualifications to one side and actually deliver something of value. And maybe the last thing I'd like to say here is the value of negotiation skills. Um, sometimes you want to take on a problem head on, you go off in your place, you do some work, and then you present a, a solution. And I think that that's going to have to fundamentally change because the key here, I think, is much more to do with, we've talked about the land issue, for example, we've talked about NHI. And often the first reaction is, can't be done, can't afford it. Um, whereas really the response should be, is there a way in which we could make this work? The first response. Because obviously society is very complicated and there's give and take on different parts of society. So I think the first thing is being able to negotiate, but starting from the point of saying, okay, let's go with what you've got and let's see how far we can take it. So rather than coming in with something that you've pre-cooked somewhere, here's one I prepared earlier, it's one where you actually work with the person engaging on, on, on solutions. So the skill perhaps that, is, that I think is important is what I call consequential analysis. So assume that what the person says is true and start exploring together the consequences, analyzing the consequences, modeling the consequences. And I think if, if we approach it with that in mind, I think that we can really make a difference, but there's gonna be a need for us to change as actuaries. So I did make that challenge in 2012, but it, 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 to implement it requires more than just your skills. I think our attitude also has to change. And that's the only thing that I'd like to maybe put to us today. Thank you very much, Kemba and Shivani. I don't want to take too much time before we open it up to the floor because I think the, the broad conversation is very important. Um, but I guess three quick points. The first is um, I think you know, one, one could think about this in terms of individual effort or individual responses, and you could also think about it on the other end of the spectrum as a coordinated effort. Um, and what I would really like to see from us as a profession is that coordination so that we can really scale and have impact uh, and leverage those, those skills that we bring to the table. Um, the second point is around capacitation, um, which, which you, you, you raised, Deputy Minister. Um, and, and that, I think, it ties in with what Tempo was saying about uh, us having to sort of learn and change as a profession because it's no good 
you know, zooming in and, and being clever and dropping in a solution and then walking, uh, walking away. Um, it really is going to have to be uh, a long process of relationship building um, and capacitation so that, you know, those solutions actually stick and that um, the people on the ground can own them um, and that it's not something that's imposed from, from outside. Um, and then I think the third one is really about prioritization because as I was listening to you, and I mean, I do feel this often as a, as a South African, um, which makes me actually feel very optimistic, is that there's no shortage of space to contribute. Like, we're not short of problems that to solve. And, um, you know, so anybody who says, oh, maybe we've got too many, uh, you know, when I, when I ran the actual science department at UCT, you know, this question of, you know, should we cap the numbers or is there such a thing as too many actuaries? Um, and I find it a bizarre concept. Like, how could we have too many well-trained quantitative people? It's just, we don't, you know? So there are plenty of problems to solve. Um, I guess the trick is going to be, where do we start? You know, and where do we start in a way that we can learn as a profession? Because as, as Tempa says, we don't know the context. Um, we don't know the lay of the land. We are going to have to learn a lot um, to be able to really leverage what, you know, the, 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 the training and skills that we have. So, how, you know, where do we start? How do we prioritize uh, in a way that will ultimately lead to the biggest, the biggest impact? Thank you. Thank you. I think that was uh, some great reflections in terms of the subject matter. I think let's uh, open it up to the floor. Uh, we actually do have quite about 20 minutes um, to allow for questions and answers. And uh, so uh, for those who have the mics, there is a question down in front um, already. Yeah. I see two questions. Thank you. Yeah, we'll start with memory. <laughs> memory Zimba, mm -hmm. as our president-elect. Um, policymakers are politicians. In our syllabus, there's nothing that teaches political consciousness. And uh, as we get more educated, we remove ourselves from things like toy toying. How are we to influence policymakers without political consciousness, without context? Very interesting question. I, I don't know if, Deputy Minister, you have some thoughts around that, and I guess maybe, Shivani, you might, as, an, as a, I can pull now on your academic experience, if maybe you have some views. Oh, I don't mind starting well. with that one, if you don't mind. I have actually thought about this quite a bit, because this is about professionals helping. And, and, and when I was sort of thinking about it, I tried to think, where do professionals actually sit in this whole equation? And in a way, I concluded that they sit as almost the, the, the ham in the sandwich. Um, so you've got politicians who will basically set the rules under which this country will live for the next however long. That's a particular skill. That's a particular responsibility. Then you've got businessmen or business people who will use the environment to do a number of things. Hopefully they do it also to make jobs, but they will be making money. Um, and professionals are sort of in the middle in the sense that what motivates, if a professional wants to be a businessman, they must just go and be a businessman. Or if they want to be in politics, they must just go and be in politics. A professional really goes to bed and sleeps well if 
the systems are right, the processes are right, they've been able to do a good job. It's the actual, it's the actual delivery of what they do which satisfies them. Um, so you talk about awareness. I think awareness is important, but the, one of the things about professionals is that they should be independent. So independent doesn't mean you're not aware, but it does mean that you're not gonna let anyone push you around, whether they're politicians or whether they're business people. Um, so this whole discussion about uh, capture, whether it's state capture or whether it's capture by commerce, is very, very important for professionals. So we need to be aware of the environment, but we also need to be ourselves and we need to be independent. I mean, that's my conclusion. I'm not sure if it really answers your question, but I think we have a third, we're a third leg of this whole thing. I do think that there is an aspect of greater involvement in the public sector because we still, I mean, I think still um, from a profession, overall profession perspective, it's still early days in terms of our engagement with the, with the public sector. Um, I do think there's going to be a process of cycling back, or there has to be a process of cycling back into our curriculum. So, I mean, I think one of the sort of hangovers of our education system having originated um, in the UK is that the, the kind of awareness of the local context isn't deeply enough embedded. Um, and, you know, individual academics and individual de departments can make a difference in terms of how they deliver the existing curriculum. Um, but there's work to be done in terms of embedding that, that sort of I guess contextual awareness right from the beginning. So it's not something that you just learn when you start to do this type of work, um, and that we don't see this necessarily as a you know a separate practice area or something like that. But it's actually an ethos that begins to to really embed into into everything that we do. And no, I, th I think it's a, it's a vitally important question. Um, And I, th I think one, 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 one must look at it from a variety of, of angles, not in necessarily in any order of priority. I, I want to start off um, just picking up on the reference that the timber made around the discussions around state capture, etc. Because the day before yesterday, I was addressing a, a conference at University of Johannesburg organized by the, the Public Affairs Research Institute on state capture, the aftermath of state capture and how we, we move forward. And I think one of the challenges that we, we, we have as a society is that for, for, for us to, to implement our national development plan is going to require a developmental state. And I mean, a developmental state that doesn't just say that it's developmental, but that actually acts as a de developmental state. Now, a developmental state can't act on its own. By definition, it needs to be a, a, a state that acts in partnership with business, with labor, with civil society, and that plays a catalytic role. And catalytic role, both in the way that it, it distributes resources but also the way that it injects vision into society. Now, it can only do that 
if it, in a sense, stands somewhat above and that it's not identified too closely with any one of the interests of those social partners. That doesn't mean that it's neutral. A developmental state can never be neutral. And in a South African context, our very constitution is not neutral. It's a constitution that is, favors the poor. Um, it enjoins us to correct the wrongs of the past. So that must be for, first and foremost the priority of a developmental state. But it must have a certain degree of autonomy. And one of the issues that was discussed at that conference was how was the concept of embedded autonomy. How does the state embed itself in society, including in business, and yet at the same time retain the autonomy that it must have in order to, to unite society as a whole. That requires trust. It also, I mean, it requires that, it requires technical capability. It requires political consciousness and clarity. And it requires absolute integrity to win the trust of, of, of society. So I think in that context, the, the, the need to, to develop a political consciousness throughout society, including these social partners and the professions, is absolutely vital. And that, I think, then links, makes the link for me to, to universities, the calls for a very radical restructuring of the curricula of our, of our universities. And I think when we, I assume that when you're referring to a political consciousness, you're not talking about a party political consciousness. It's a much broader consciousness of where do we come from as a society? What are the core challenges that face us? I mean, if we, if, 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 if we, if we don't have agreement that the key challenges facing our society are poverty, unemployment and inequality, and that we craft also the curricula around the resolution of those, those challenges, then, then we have a problem. Um, so I agree with you fully. Um, political consciousness in relation to the history that we come from, the challenges that we face, and the tools that we need to, to, to move forward and to, to resolve those challenges is vital. Thanks. Thank you very much. Uh, um, the second question, which is there, yeah. Yeah, um, thanks for, so much for the talk, uh, Comrade Deputy Minister. I <laughs> um, uh, appreciate it. It's very brilliant. Um, I think as well to Temba and Shivani and very astute contributions that you're making here. Uh, but I think for me, and I think um, my ex-colleague here, Henrik, I used to have these debates with him a lot of times at work. It's, it's a fact that if you really look at it, and I would support the ministers, that as it is, there are some municipalities that are employing extremely astute people, e.g., um, I have a family member who is a PhD applied meds at City of Johannesburg. They have got MBAs there as well. They're doing extremely complicated things with the billing system there. It's extremely complicated things. Statistics South Africa, they're, they're doing some seriously complicated things using statistical analysis systems. So, so what I'm trying to point out to, to, the, to us, uh, council, for example, is the fact that when, when you have a system like this, it's, it's kind of like we, we, we putting ourselves in the system where we're too comfortable, you know, and we feel that 
things can just continue as they are, and then if we flesh our foster title ships, then therefore it means that we can come into these uh, uh, stakeholders and then feel like we can do something better. But a PhD candidate can do some of the things even better than we can do, you know. So that's one of the things that actually I keep having a lot of comments with the people day in, day out, that we might, for example, start to even uh, start positioning ourselves in a much different way. And one of the questions might be, do we actually even need a FASA title ship to sell ourselves in some of actually these municipalities, for example? Just a comment that I have. Thank you very much. I think that was just a comment, I think. Um, appreciate it. Okay, there's a mic that is already here, and we'll take the question at the top there then. Uh, thank you. Uh, Craig Andrews from Discovery. Sorry, Deputy Minister. Yes, he's Frank. in the white shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for your presentation. I really appreciate it. Um, I think we can all say that there are some problems. There are obviously some good things. Um, but as a South African, we're a very proud nation, um, and we want to make things work. I just want to understand, are there other societies or other professions that are involved in municipalities at the moment? So, for example, the lawyers, the engineers, um, the accountants. Um, and can you give examples of, of their involvement? And I'm guessing the problems that you face probably need a multidisciplinary team. Um, and how would you see that, that working out? Uh, my first question to you is, were you eavesdropping on the on the my conversation with the with the leadership of the profession because that 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 was in fact very much uh, part of our discussion i, th I think f f first of all just to say yes there, there there are obviously many many professions that are involved in municipalities in many different ways well actually let, let me start off by making the general point the importance of local government is that i mean ultimately everything in our country finds expression in a municipality you know whether it's a military base uh, a hospital a nuclear reactor um, a school a university a factory uh, an actuary's office <laughs> it, it it all is in a municipality and, and uh, and, and all of those things impact on the municipality, but also the way in which the municipality impact, functions impacts on all of those activities. So it's a very complex relationship, but it just it reinforces the importance uh, of, of, of well-functioning, capable, developmental local government. So by its very nature, all of those professions relate in one way or another to the functioning of, of, of municipalities. In, in, in relation to, to the work that I was um, reporting on, I think the, the key professions would be your technical engineering professions, both electrical, civil, water, and those are professions that we both employ members of those professions onto our teams, but we also we've forged links with the professional bodies. The second would be financial. Um, the third would be town and regional planning, I mean, both in terms of direct day-to-day -day work in the municipalities, but also bringing that profession on board with the implementation of our integrated urban development framework. We've, we've 
we've undertaken another in, a number of initiatives to draw both business and the professions closer to to the work of the department and the municipalities themselves. We've had extensive engagements with organizations like Business Unity South Africa, Business Leadership South Africa, to get those bodies, those umbrella bodies of, of business involved. Two, there's a Business Adopt a Municipality uh, program. Thirdly, we've partnered with a number of the banks. Uh, FNB, for example, runs a Academy of Excellence. Uh, every year it's a series of about four workshops around the country focusing specifically on financial skills and getting municipal, municipal audit outcomes to, to, to be better. So I think there are a range of, of, of areas that the, the actuarial profession can be, can be involved in, in those efforts. And we, we were speaking with the leadership of, of the profession to say we would like to, to explore those further. And an option could perhaps be to take one or two or a couple of municipalities and start piloting the involvement of actuaries as part of those multidisciplinary teams uh, that I was talking about. Thank you. Uh, the question at the top. Hello, everyone. Um, hopefully, I communicate clearly. I'm Tato Pule. Um, and I'm, represent, well, I'm representing myself. Um, <laughs> um, Deputy Minister, I would really like to thank you for today. Um, you were saying words which really made me excited as a person, um, like political consciousness, community-based organizing. Um, it's almost as if it's a ministry I've always been waiting for. Um, and yeah, and I will definitely, I live in Pretoria, so I will definitely come to your offices to keep you um, accountable to some of the promises that you've made. Um, uh, so, um, but my question is really um, about the actuarial science profession. I'm in this profession um, and I'm still a student. And, um, you know, um, I realized something um, during the FISMAS fall protests. Um, I did a sort of back of the hand assessment of the disciplines that were represented at the forefront of um, one of the most important moments in our democracy. Um, and believe it or not, I was the only actual student there. Or everyone, class was continuing as normally, but here was this momentous moment. And I remember feeling some sort of bitterness and anger that why aren't my classmates there with me? And then I started developing this idea, and I started realizing that actually, as you're studying as an actual student, from the moment you step into the university door, you are told to not be distracted. When you try and be vocal, you are getting distracted. Focus on getting that. I, although I understand, Mr. Bekitemba Gameze, um, that you know, in this solution we have to put aside our faces, but some of us like the sort of attitudes that we're getting is that um, uh, we can't say anything without a FASA, you know, um, especially in these, um, in these circles. Um, so um, I, I love the solution that you're coming up with in terms of um, injecting communities with this valuable skill set, which I'd like to um, emphasize the point of the gentleman who spoke before me that 
we must be very careful in terms of um, going into communities and feeling like we have something to give. Um, we should actually consider that, that what they have is that which they need. Um, and perhaps we need to look at the situation from a different context. Um, uh, so the, the actual concern for me here is that maybe we're skipping a, a critical step. And perhaps it shouldn't be about how does the actual profession help other people, but it should be how does the actual profession help itself. The profession does not exist in a vacuum. It's a microcosm of societies, these municipalities. Um, um, all of those challenges that you're facing, although because of the practice notes and the regulation, we have um, the financial, from a, 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 a corporate perspective, um, we have um, a, a, a good financial, good governance, all of those features that we're describing. Um, but um, a key thing is that um, the profession itself is mirroring the society. And we should start with our own backyard and ask ourselves how we can open up the profession and ask how actuarial students, those who are told that you can't, you can't say about this, about you can't go to a protest about fees must fall because you still, you got to get the FASA first. Um, um, how, do we, how do we encourage them from the moment they step in to be socially conscious and not create a solution which expects that from them when it's too late? When, when they have to put aside their FASA now. Uh, why don't we make the FASA part and parcel of, 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 of what we're trying to achieve? Why didn't I see any questions about municipalities in my, in my exams um, and how we could solve the questions? I think the issue of curriculum transformation is an important one, especially in content creation in spaces such as this, mm -hmm. where people are here to learn and hear about what it is the profession can do to improve our society. Um, um, if I lastly, could ask to sorry. please wrap it up because yes. uh, we didn't... Um, lastly, um, the profession itself teaches us that, well, communication says that in the profession, up until you get to that subject, you have learned mathematics, you can do, you use axioms and deductions and assumptions to make sense of things, then you loosen them and you get a, bit, a, a sense of what it is you're actually dealing with. Um, but communication says that even though that's our view, you have to be able to not take a top-down approach, but a bottom-up approach. And I think that is an approach which I think um, has to be taken with this initiative. Thank yes. you. Thank you very much for, for that. I think uh, many parts of uh, your question were actually, I think, also responded to in the very first question that Memory had asked, but uh, the minister will, Deputy Minister will also respond. First of all, I think th thank you very much for the uh, stated intention to, to exercise civil society oversight over, <laughs> over me. Um, but, uh, no, look, I, I, I think many of the, the interventions that you've made, um, I mean, are, are very valuable and profound. I don't think that I'm necessarily the, the best person to, to respond to them. Um, I think though they should elicit uh, engagement from or within the, the, the profession. But just to, to, to say this, I mean, in, in relation to what we were talking about earlier, I mean, there's the old, you know, cliche that you, you, you can ignore politics, but uh, politics won't ignore you. Um, we live in a, a very political 
world and a very political country. And, I mean, actuaries, as, as people whose core business is to, to evaluate and to help manage risk, I mean, I don't know how you do that without a understanding uh, of the society in which that risk uh, occurs. And again, as I said, that, that doesn't mean a narrow party political understanding, but I mean a, a, a political understanding of the dynamics of your, your society, uh, I think is, is absolutely essential. And I mean, that, that would require a reworking of the curricula, not only of, of, of actuarial science, but I mean, in, in, in a number of other professions. I mean, how, how for example, do you operate as a town and regional planner, not understanding the fact that we're a very rapidly urbanizing society? How can you be a town and regional planner and not understand the homeland system? How are you a town and regional planner if you can't understand that at one point in our history, there were, there, <laughs> there were segregated neighborhoods uh, how do you, how are you a town and regional planner and you don't have a, an understanding of the land question in South Africa? I mean, those things are just, I, I don't think you can be a true and full professional in a South African context if you don't understand those things. Because the reality is that professionals elsewhere in the world are often, although not always, trained to, to understand their own societies. We un unfortunately often get trained to understand other societies, not our own. Um, so it's not just a question. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for me, it goes to the heart of, of what it means to, to 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 be a professional, and a professional rooted in your your your, your society. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe just last I, again. I I, I can't and I I can't uh, I can't answer for your your fellow students. Uh, I was. Uh, <laughs> I was a student activist in the National Union of South African Students, but that was uh, more years ago than I care to admit publicly. Thank you very much. And maybe just one last maybe comment from each of the panelists um, so that we can just wrap up this session. That would be great. I think such a, such a rich and valuable conversation. Um, and I guess what, what I'm left thinking about is you know, we've got to, we have to sort of do these things in tandem. We do need to do the sort of internal reflection into the profession, but we also we also do have skills that are valuable and that we can contribute. Um, and we have to think about how we do how we do both of those things uh, simultaneously. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, Deputy Minister, for taking time out of your your busy schedule to be with us. And I really do hope that it is the beginning of a, a long, meaningful relationship. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I think maybe for me, it's it's almost like if somebody asks you, somebody puts up their hand to do something, and then you almost put them off immediately. <laughs> um, I, I hope that the, the, the context and the difficulty of learning the context for the 90% of us who didn't go on those uh, marches, um, you mustn't exclude yourself. The last thing we want is for people not to be involved. Um, and it's great to have pioneers who see, who see the, the problem and who challenge us. 
Um, but I think there's a lot that we can all contribute. So please, I know it's not necessarily an easy terrain to walk into, but I really hope that at the end of the day that more of us will get involved. And as we do so, we will actually find ourselves transformed, our own selves transformed. So it's not always just about transforming society around us, but it's also being transformed ourselves. Well, I think just thank you very, very much again for, for the invitation, for the opportunity to, to engage. Uh, thanks to uh, Memory Zimba for challenging um, Minister uh, Zweliem Kize earlier uh, this year at a gathering of uh, professionals where we were exploring how we can collaborate with that range of and we were challenged to say, but what about actuaries? And uh, thank you very much for, for following up and, and responding to, 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 to that call. I think, as, as, as we said, that the, the nature of, 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 of local government is very complex. It's fraught uh, with multiple risks. And I think the, the insights, the knowledge that the actuarial profession can bring uh, in a, the context of multidisciplinary efforts to, to strengthen our system of local government and through strengthening local government really in a way consolidating the foundation on which our whole developmental state should rest uh, is something that we, we welcome. Uh, thank you very much.